it's, it's funny. I, I, I feel like all of us are, are doing this on one level. Um, I hate to bring up COVID again, but man, what a thing that has just totally changed the way we do life. And I think each of us in our own unique ways, we do these things where we sit down with one another over lunch or coffee, and we're all asking each other, how's it going? What, what's next? What's the world going to look like when this is all said and done? Will this ever be all said and done? Is this normal? Is this a new normal? What, what do we do with this? And we're all, you know, listen to your news cycle, uh, your social media, and let alone all the algorithms that push you the information that you want or that you don't want. And, and how do we sort through all of these things? And, and what do we do? And how should we spend our time? How, what shouldn't we do? What should we not be doing with our time? How do we navigate the day in and day out struggles of life? What, what does that even mean? And so this morning, I really want to ask us this question of how do we live during uncertain times? Because I don't know about you, this is all brand new to me. And to a large extent, I think I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> and I feel like I'm not the only one. I feel like a lot of us are doing this. And it, it's difficult because it feels like in such a climate, e- even inside the church, if, if I say, all right, I'm going to go to the right, then you've got a group on the left that goes, what? oh, you can't do that. And I say, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I'm going to go left this time. And then the group on the right goes, whoa, why are you going left? You were supposed to go right. And I, I, I don't know. What, what am I supposed to do? And listen, listen. As a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus, how do I navigate life during uncertain times? Now, if you're a student of history, this isn't actually a new question. Life has been uncertain forever. (laughs) There's always been challenges. Sure, they look different, and there's different nuances. And, um, you know, technology adds a whole new layer of communication with one another, as if communicating face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, wasn't difficult enough. Now we do it behind a screen, and that that has a whole other host of issues that go along with this. But, But how do we live well during uncertain times? We've all asked this question, maybe not verbatim, but that's at the heart of what we're all trying to do as we stare metaphorically into our crystal ball and try and figure out what the future holds for all of us. And like I said, if you're a student of history, you you know that life has been uncertain. Life has been difficult, full full of ups and downs and challenges. And we're going to look at the text this morning, and it is going to address this question. In the craziness of life, when we're not sure if we go right or left or if we stay put, what do we do in uncertain times? What is a wise choice? What is a foolish choice? How do we treat one another? And what is God, what's he doing? What does he want us to do in the midst of of all of these things. And so if you've ever asked that question, if you've ever wondered that, or you've had conversations with people, this morning we're gonna go and address that. We're gonna answer that question. Now, I gotta give us all a warning before we open up into the passage. Um, Kurt, for whatever reason, loves to give me kind of the, the weird, challenging ones. And this Sunday is no different. I mean, last week he's like, you know, love people, don't hate people. So I'm like, ah, oh, that would have been great to have. This week we're gonna talk about false teachers, the Antichrist, and living in the last hour. And I don't know, as I listed those three, I'm not sure if you felt it, but the room kind of shifted. Some of you are like, oh, buckle up, it's about to get weird. And then the other half of you are like, yeah, let's talk about it. You know, name names, let's do it, you know. Uh, I'm gonna try and navigate us, and I'm gonna ask that we all kind of swim in the same direction as we go through this passage. But man, it has a lot to say about our current times. And this, side note, that's just one of the things I love about scripture, and written in the first century. And yet here we are today, 
and it speaks truth in the lives that we live. So a little bit of context as you're opening up to 1 John chapter 2. Um, John is writing this letter to a group of churches because there's been a split. There's been a segment that has branched off of each of these churches, and they're starting new ones. And really the issue, it's not worship preference. It's not location, like, oh, you're in this building. I'd really like us to be on the other side of town. No, 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 it has nothing to do with that. Everything to do with who is Jesus? Is Jesus God, really? And what did his death on the cross actually accomplish? And John, as one of the last Mohicans, if you will, is writing, he's pen to paper, he's writing this, and he says, no, you have to understand, you don't need to switch this out for a new and improved gospel. There's nothing wrong with the original teaching that you have heard, that you have put your faith in, that you have changed your life to mirror. There's nothing wrong with this one. We, you don't need a new teaching. Anytime someone comes along in society and says, ha I've got a special revelation and a new teaching, and if you buy my book and then you understand and you'll be on a deeper level, just send five checks of 1999 or whatever the number is, you need to pause. You need to consort... Well, you need, you need to talk with one another and you need to go back to the scriptures. This is what John is going to teach. He's, this is what he's teaching his people. When life gets unsettling, when things get weird and you have all these different teachings, he's going to say, no, 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 no. Go back to the original gospel. It's what you put your faith in in the first place. It's not broken. It, you don't need gospel 2.0. There's no such thing as gospel 2.0. So if you got a Bible, go to the book of John, please. I'm sorry, go to 1 John and we're going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 15. Are you ready? Right off the bat, we're going to get a little weird. It's real quiet in here. Hopefully online you're chatting away. You're like, yeah, let's do this. Okay, here we go. Everyone breathe. All right, here we go. First John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love of the Father is not in them. You got it? Don't love the world. Nothing. Does that mean we should hate the world? And then you're like, wait a minute. For God so loved the world. Oh, now what do we do? <laughs> we got a conundrum. What do we do? This word world is cosmos. It's, um, it, it is creation. For God so loved the creation. He created it and it was good. He created you and I. He created humanity. He says, I love humanity. What John is referring to here is the systems of the world. The godless systems of the world, not people who do godless things for God so loved those people. And Jesus loves those people. And the Holy Spirit loves those people. And the church loves those people. It is the godless systems. It is the systems, the values, and the goals of a world that does not know Jesus. He says, those things, do not devote your life to those things. Do not chase after those things. They are empty. I want to be very clear. It's never people. God loves people. God's people love people. It is the godless systems and the values and the goals. Those are the things that we are not to love. We are supposed to, if they are going this way, we go this way. So keep going. Verse 16, for everything in the world, and he's going to list what this, the godless systems, goals, and values are. He says, everything in the world, here we go, the lust of the flesh, which is like a big umbrella term, and he'll give two subpoints. He says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
So it's a giant category of sinful desires or sinful lifestyle. The lust of the eyes, this is coveting. This is, this is desiring things that are not yours, desiring things that are not godly. Sure, this includes sexual immorality, right? Because that's not God. He didn't design it this way. And yet you and I, we lust, we crave, we desire this. And God says, no, 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 no. If you take it outside of this context, it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt other people. And I love you and I don't want you to be hurt and I don't want you to hurt other people. You're going to pursue and be so focused on all of these things. You're going to be gluttonous towards all of these worldly things that God is not a part of. And you're going to wonder why you feel empty. It's because he's not in those. The lust of the eyes is this continual looking and pursuing and saying, maybe the grass is greener over there. Maybe it's greener over there. And we all know it's green where you water it. It's green where Jesus is. He's saying that this is the world system. Get more of this, more of this, more of this, more of this, more of this. And regardless of what it costs other people, he says, no, 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 no. Avoid the lust of the eyes and then avoid the pride of life. This is this, I'm a self-made man. A self-made woman. I look at the life or the kingdom that I have built for myself. I don't need a savior, let alone a king or a lord. I'm king. I'm lord. I saved myself. Look at my empire. Yay, give it up for me. This is what John's saying. He says, look, you want to know what the world is about? It's about these two categories right here. These are all lusts or desires of the flesh. He says, don't go for that. Don't go for that. You're going the wrong way if that's your life. He says, pursue God. Those things are not of the Father. You need to go this way towards God. Verse 17, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You get the idea here? Do you see the repetitive nature of this? He's saying, don't go this way. It's going to pass away. And in fact, those things are passing away and there will come a point in time where they are no longer passing away because they've passed away. And what remains? The things of God. This is God's will. John's sitting here saying, these are all empty things. Do not dedicate your life to the pursuit of these things. To the new people that have broken off from the church and they're starting their new church and they're about these things, whoa, this should be a warning flag. This is a red light. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. That is not of God. Dear children, he says in verse 18, this is the last hour. Here we go, buckle up. You ready? This is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And he says, even now, many Antichrists have come. Not one, many of them have come. So we got to define some terms here. Otherwise, we're going to get lost in the weeds. And, and I want to make sure we are all on the same page with this. So I got three, three terms here. The last hour. I want you to think not literal hour, but think era. We're living in the last era. The next thing is Christ's return. So we are in this hour, if you will. The Antichrist, this is, just think anti, think opposite of Jesus. Jesus is about doing um, the Father's will. The Antichrist is going to be about doing the will of Satan. Jesus once, once and is introducing the kingdom of God. The Antichrist will try and battle that with the kingdom of evil, with Satan's kingdom. It, it is a contrast. And the Antichrist sure will come. And then we have what John says is Antichrists, plural. And I'm not gonna define that yet because he does it in the, in the letter in a couple of verses in the future. But I want us to be on the same page and we're gonna do a slight detour and then we're gonna come back. But this is so incredibly important. So if you've tuned out, come back, come back to me and we need to play a little history lesson game. This will help us be all on the same page. And it's what I like to call apocalyptic detective. 
We're going to play apocalyptic detective. And really all that is, is when Christians or people declare this event has set off a chain reaction and it's going to lead to Jesus's second coming where he's coming back. So a brief history lesson as we walk through and navigate the joys of apocalyptic detectiveness. I don't even know if that's a word, but that's what we're going to do. So we're going to start with the Protestant Reformation. A man by the name of Martin Luther, you may have been familiar with his name. In 1517, he said that the Pope was the Antichrist. Thus you have a split. Now, we could connect a million dots and we're just gonna fast forward to the 1900s, okay? I just wanna show you, in 1517 and even before that time, Christians have been doing this. That person, that thing, that event, that organization, that film in the blank is going to be the cause of Christ's return all the way back from 1517. Now, fast forward to 1900s. We have the world wars from 1914 to 1945. One and two, the Holocaust, evil, pure evil. And Christians in the church have said, this this is it. This is going to be the cause that will cause Christ to come back, his second coming. Pop quiz, has he come back? No, he hasn't. He has not come back yet. I think. Otherwise, we missed it. <laughs> I'm kidding. He hasn't come back yet. Okay, so let's fast forward. Let's keep going. 1946 through 1991, the Cold War era. You've got the rise of nuclear power, Israel as a nation, and Russia. Just anything and everything about Russia. Anytime something happens in Russia in the news, it's like, oh, this is it. This is Armageddon. This is the apocalypse. This is it. This is the Antichrist, whatever political figure, whatever you want to do. And the whole idea was that the world is going to become so evil and it is going to be so um, just chaotic that Jesus has to come back immediately. And Christians have been making predictions all the way through 1946 to 1991. They have been going and going and going and going, and we've been wrong. Keep going. 1990 to current day. This would be my life. I'm a kid of the 90s. Anyone? Anyone? A couple of us? Okay. So a couple of events, um, so I'll give you a couple of them. They're just kind of from 1990 to current day, right? You have 9-11, um, Osama bin Laden. Oh, it's a typo. It should be an E, not an I at the end. But uh, w- when this whole thing came, Christians went immediately, this is it, this is it. It is the end of the world. And it happened on our soil, and I understand, and it's tragic. It is an atrocity, and it was horrible, and it was pure evil. But Jesus did not come back. A couple other things, um, it, really any president from when I was born... <laughs> Up until now, doesn't matter if it's blue or red president, any president is the Antichrist or their running mate is the Antichrist or their, vi- it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And if it's not, if it's not a president, it's gonna be someone lower, maybe more state-centered, you know? And they're gonna be like, well, that's, that's the Antichrist and that's gonna cause everything to happen. Um, another one that's great is rampant sin and the, the decay of morality. That's gonna cause Jesus to come back. I wanna let you know that that's been happening ever, well, before 1517. Uh, Rome. Rome. Read your history books. That was gnarly. Um, Current day would be COVID. It would be masks. It would be vaccines. And these are all things that whoever says what is the Antichrist, whether you're on the left or the right or somewhere in the middle. Um, If you wear them, you're part of this. If if this is the mark of the beast, it's not the mark of the beast. And and everyone is pointing fingers and calling out shots. Um, And I I simply want to say this with as much uh, compassion as I can. 
we've been wrong because Jesus hasn't come back. He hasn't come back. Can I give you three of my favorites? I can laugh about these now, but I imagine in the, in the moment it's like, oh, it's really, really tense, kind of like it is in the room. We'll be okay. We'll be okay. Uh, there's a, a man by the name of George Joseph Lohr. Lohr? I can't pronounce his last name. He introduced the universal product code. Do you know what this is? This is the barcode system. When you, when you buy something at the grocery store and you go, boop, and you scan that sucker, that guy invented it. There are a couple other guys before him that invented it or were playing with it, but he's the one that really brought it to market, made the technology affordable to where every store could purchase the scanners and the computer systems to run all these things along. The barcode system didn't used to be bars. It used to be circles, like a bullseye, right? And now, you know, today we've kind of, you got your barcode, which is still alive and well. You also have QR codes. You have all these different codes, but he's kind of the granddaddy of them all that brought all these things into play. Now, here's what's fascinating. If you see this barcode system, I think we have a picture of the actual barcode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these are spacers. You have a beginning, a middle, and the end. And the number six, see the number six right here? You have those two spaces? Looks oddly familiar to those, doesn't it? Are you with me? And you've got one set of spacers that says this is the front, that's the middle, that's the end, right? So a lot of Christians say, well, the barcode system is a mark of the beast because you have two lines, and that looks a lot like the six right there. So you've got six, six, six. And he says, if you don't believe me, just look at the guy's name. George. How many letters in George? <laughs> Joseph. How many letters in Joseph. Laurer, L-A-U-R-E-R. How many letters? I mean, do we need any more evidence? I'll give you a second one. This one was fun for me. Our church did a whole uh, a New Year's party around Y2K. Anyone remember Y2K? Anyone have a computer around Y2K? So our church got together and we're like, dude, we don't throw these parties, but... Why not? Let's go throw a New Year's party. And if Jesus comes back, we'll all be at church having a good time. And if he doesn't, we're all at church having a good time. So yeah, there's really nothing to lose. Um, he didn't come back. But what is fascinating though, is um, almost everyone on your jeans, if you look at your zipper, it will have a Y and two Ks on it. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Don't do it now. That's awkward. But... <laughs> Do it, do it when you're in the car or when you drive home. You'll look at your zipper and you'll see a Y and a 2K for like the vast majority. There's a handful of jeans that don't do that. But I always thought it was really funny that like, okay, my jeans are now Y2K approved. Like we're gonna be safe. And then this one is gonna cause uh, so many of us that love this place, we're just gonna cry. Uh, yeah, there's the Y2K bug. Uh, the next one is, is, is Disney. It's Disneyland. It's Disney. It's the logo. Have you seen the Disney logo? Now I don't know if you can see this. I've just ruined all the movies. <laughs> Cancel your Disney Plus. Get rid of it. But anyways, it's there. So now, now we got to boycott Disney. Um, so there's that. But here, I, I want to be, I'm trying to poke fun at us. I'm trying to make us laugh at ourselves for a little bit. Um, but, but the truth of the matter, I said it earlier, is this. We've been wrong on every single one of these. Like 100% of the time. So if, if, we were, um, if we were a baseball team and every time we got up to the plate and we said, we're going to hit a home run and we, you, know, you get the bat and you point, the whole thing. Um, everyone else playing that sport 
would look at us and go, yeah, right. <laughs> you've, you've struck out 100% of the time, and, and now you're going to hit the home run? Second observation is that it, it makes us look foolish. Again, I'm not mad at anyone. I don't have an ax to grind, but I'm simply letting you know that um, in this world, there are people that do not like Christians. There are people in this world that do not want anything to do with church or the Bible or our Jesus. And they will look at things like this and say, you've been wrong on all of these other issues. What makes you think you're right about the reliability of scriptures, about the love of your God? It, it makes us look foolish. It hurts our witness to people. And, and the truth of the matter is we don't know when Jesus is coming back. I believe with all my heart he will. Is it gonna be in my lifetime? I have no idea. I, I hold on to this, this passage right here from Mark chapter 13, verse 32. It says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. Not even, listen to this, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun. That's Jesus but only the Father, only God the Father, Jesus. Verse 33 says, be on guard, be alert. Here it is again. You do not know when that time will come. We don't know. And if Jesus doesn't know, what makes me think I know? And again, it makes us look foolish. And here, here's what I think, uh, worst of all, it distracts us from the great commandment and the great commission. Now listen, I'm not saying we don't read anything about the return of Christ, about end times. It is in our Bible. God wanted us to know. He wants us to study it. He wants us to love him with all of our soul, with our, all of our mind. So we need to look at the times. We need to look at the scriptures. We need to study the scriptures. But at the end of the day, we don't know. And my heart breaks when that becomes the focal point of the world is getting so worse that he's got to come back this second. It distracts us from loving people, from loving God, and spreading the gospel. I want to read just these things to us so we're all on the same page here. The great, great commandment, Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 39 says this, Teacher, which of the greatest commandment is in the law? Verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment, or great commission, excuse me, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And he did say, Be alert, be on guard. That's a command. So we do need to be alert. We do need to be on guard. But we also need to be making disciples, not just here at home, but around the world. We need to be baptizing people and we need to teach them everything that Jesus taught us to. And he says this, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age or the era. Part, part of sharing the gospel is that Jesus is here with you. It, it, it's not just that he loves you, but that he's here with you. And we as a church, man, we get distracted when we put on our apocalyptic detective hat and we're trying to figure this thing out and run numbers and graphs and charts and all that stuff. And again, I'm not against trying to figure it out. 
I'm against that superseding loving God with all of our heart, loving our neighbor as ourself, and spreading the gospel to people. Because there are people that need Jesus Christ because of newsflash, they have no hope in this world. No hope. And we know hope. I, I know him. His name is Jesus. And I would love to introduce you to him. But, but when we're being extremely loud about things that we've been wrong about, it, it is a distraction. It is a distraction from loving God with all we have to loving people the way we want to be loved and to sharing the greatest news that the world so desperately needs. So that was a, that was a, a, a quick, <laughs> that was a quick um, history lesson, but I want us to circle back and go to John's text and we'll finish it up here. First John chapter two, verse 18. He says, this is how we know it's the last hour. You ever wondered? This is how we know. He says, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John's saying, those guys that left and started their new church and they, you know, their theology isn't sound, their doctrine is all over the place. He said, they were never really a part of us to begin with. But you, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, from Jesus, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie can come from the truth. Who's the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist. There's our word. Denying the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the son has the father and whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. Those two, you cannot separate those, th those two things. They are, it's a package deal. And this is what those new churches were trying to do. And John's saying, be on the lookout, stick to your original gospel. You don't need to add or take anything away from this. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you do, or sorry, see that what you have heard from the beginning, it remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Is this not the gospel? This is the gospel. Remain in the gospel. Don't get sidetracked on a new teaching, on this new person that claims to have a brand new enlightenment. And if you buy their product, then you too can rise to their level. He said, no, 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 none of that stuff. Don't get lost on that. Stick with the gospel because it leads to eternal life. All this stuff, I hate to break it to you, it's gonna go away. It is passing away. It is dying. It will be dead. What remains is going to be the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Don't be led astray. You know the truth. You don't need a lie. Stay focused on it. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you received from him, it remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, it's not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Are you seeing the repetitive? John is just over and over and over and over. Just remain in this, remain in this, remain in this. This is the gospel message. Don't get sidetracked with the other, all the other things. Remain in this. And you know this. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Those of you who've been following Jesus for any length of time, you have had an experience with the creator, with God Almighty. And no one can take that from you. What a beautiful thing. What, what great confidence 
that we can have in uncertain times. And we'll wrap it up. We're almost done. Verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, and he will, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How do we live in the last hour? How do we know what is right, what is wrong? How do we live in uncertain times? In your notes, it's right here. Number one, continue in your faith in Jesus. Just continue. Continue in your faith. Keep on going. Don't stop. This is why I always encourage you guys, man, if you've got a Bible, open that thing up, mark it, circle, smiley face, arrow, highlight, whatever you gotta do. Use this thing as a textbook so that when anyone stands up on a stage and opens up the Bible and says, this is what it is, you go back to your scriptures and make sure that is in fact what it says. Don't just listen to it because I'm up here or because, well, no, listen to everything Kurt says. He's right 100% of the time. <laughs> the worst thing that someone can say is, I don't know, I'm confused on this passage. Let's go ask Steve. Let's go ask Kurt. Let's go ask a pastor. No, 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 no. You, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You've got the scriptures. Loving God with your mind, go back and check the things. This is why part of John's church was, was shattered and people were leaving. They weren't working through these things. Number two, what do we do in weird times, in uncertain times, living in the last hour? Number two, live righteously just like Jesus. Listen, now is not a time to divide. Now is not a time to throw stones at one another. Now is not a time to point fingers and yell and yell and yell and all this other thing. No, 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 no. Now is the time to continue to love God with all we have with all of us, and to love our neighbor as ourself, including the neighbors that do not go to church and want nothing to do with church and Jesus. And what did Jesus do? As he walked around, he ushered in, he announced the good news. He introduced, announced, proclaimed, brought forth the kingdom of God. He says, in the first century, you're living in the kingdom of Rome. This is not of God. There's a better kingdom that you and I can live in. And everywhere Jesus went, this is what he ushered in. This is what he invited people into. And I love this. Jesus went to the, the outcasts of society, to the people that were worth nothing, that had nothing to contribute to society, the marginalized. He went to the greatest sinners, the greatest thieves, and he loved them because God loves them. He says, I know your sexual sin, but whoever doesn't, have, whoever doesn't have any, go ahead and grab that stone and throw it. And then he said, go and sin no more. There's a better way to live. People who were sick, they needed healing. He healed them. People that were totally marginalized from their own people, tax collectors. He said, you, you're a tax collector. Your people hate you because you robbed them, you steal from them, you've betrayed your own people, but you, you come follow me. Meaning you can do what I do. You can be associated with me. And on a deeper level, I'll be associated with you. In a world in the first century that is broken and tired of living in the kingdom of Rome, Jesus arrives on the scene and says, let me tell you about the kingdom of God. I think as we move, as we live our life today, this world is broken can I introduce you to God's kingdom? Where you are unconditionally loved, where your sins are forgiven, where, where we don't have all it takes to love people unconditionally, Jesus will show us. He's so gracious and he's so patient and he's so kind. 
This, this is good news. This is what it means to love our neighbor well is we, we share the gospel with them. And then the third thing, we, we talked about this a lot, but number three, don't get distracted playing apocalyptic detective. It's in your Bible. I want all of us to study it. it it's in there. We need to study it. Jesus said, be alert. We, we do need to be alert. But we can't miss out on loving God, loving people, and spreading the good news. It's a challenging verse or passage of verses. It's really hard. But I don't know any of us that would say we're not living in strange times. So what do we do with new mandates, old mandates? We're not sure if there's gonna be other things coming up. What do we do? Well, we love God. We love people. And we spread the gospel. That's what we do. So I wanna pray for us that we would do that and I wanna pray for us, if, if, if you've been around church, or maybe if this is even brand new for you, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never put your faith in Jesus, I, I wanna give you that opportunity right now to say, come join us. We are a community that is about loving God with all of us. We're not perfect at it. We got a lot of room for growth. We're a community that wants to love everyone, just like we love ourselves. So I, I wanna invite you to follow the Lord and Savior that we follow, Jesus Christ, and join our church family, join our community, and let's go do this thing together. Amen. So Christ, we come before you. And from, from the very beginning, we say thank you so much for your unconditional love for us. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins, which are many, that is not lost on us. And Lord, I pray for the person in this room that is on the fence, that is not sure if they wanna trust you, if you can be trusted. And God, I pray that they would, they would take a step, that they would be bold and courageous and that they would say, today, I've tried everything else. I've searched all the world has to offer. And today, I'm gonna pursue you, Jesus. And if that's your prayer, if that's your heart, I want you to know that there's a party going on in heaven for you. And Jesus loves you so much. And this church loves you so much. And it's because our, our love for you, our love for God, that we want the whole world to know the good news of Jesus Christ because everyone is living in uncertain times. So Father, would you help us to continue to be those people? Would you help us get better? Would you help us reach people that are so far from you that want nothing to do with you, that when they find you, they are blown away and they realize they've been searching from you from the very beginning. Father, it's the cry of our heart. It is our desire. We want to be these people. So would your Holy Spirit guide us and throughout the week as we open up the scriptures and we study, would we see your hand at work in our whole world and in our lives as well? We pray this in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. amen. Would you stand with me? We're gonna close by singing one last song.